the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Then on the eighth day, the high priest has to make four separate sacrifices for each cleansed leper. So on the eighth day, the high priest has to make 40 sacrifices now for the cleansed leper. Isn't that great? Don't you love it? They say, he's not the Messiah. He needs to die. Jesus says, oh yeah? Well, here's 10 cleansed lepers. You don't think I'm a Messiah? How do you like these apples? You know, like, what do you think about that? Here's 10 10 cleansed lepers, and you can spend the next eight days thinking about your decision. Much of the significance of Jesus' teachings and miracles are lost on us in our culture. It makes a big difference when you study the culture he lived in. It can bring perspective and depth to the stories that are otherwise missing. As Pastor Dan leads us through John chapter 11 in today's message, he'll draw our attention to some of that context as we examine the resurrection of Lazarus and the healing of ten lepers and see how these amazing works were received by the religious leaders. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 11 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. and Mary have spent the last four days in the fellowship of disappointment, right? And just encouraging other to be uh, upset and resentful and bitter that Jesus didn't show up. And so now she comes and she says the exact same thing that Martha said. He would have been here. My brother wouldn't have died. He'd be alive right now. You can imagine them for the last four days just talking about the fact that Jesus didn't show up. I can't believe he didn't come. I know, I can't believe it either. If he would have come, Lazarus would be alive. I know. All those meals that we made for him, and he doesn't show up. All the times we let him stay in our house, and he doesn't come. I thought Lazarus was his best friend, and now he doesn't even show up for his funeral. It's been going on for four days, and he's a no. I can't believe this. And they are just encouraging other in disappointment, and unbelief, and resentment, and bitterness. And now it comes out. Look at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And the word weeping here, uh, this word means loud wailing or loud crying out. You know, our, our funerals tend to be quiet events. They tend to be somber. There's quiet music. Uh, We whisper at funerals, Uh, but this is a loud funeral. You know, people are, are getting loud at this funeral, crying out, wailing. And Jesus saw her weeping and saw the crowd weeping. And it says he groaned in the spirit 
and was troubled. That word groaned in the Greek, it literally means to snort like a horse. It denotes anger. Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry. And why was Jesus angry? Or what, what is he angry at? He's angry at death. He's angry at death. Death was not part of God's original design. God created man to enjoy fellowship with him forever in the Garden of Eden. But then Adam and Eve rebelled. They disobeyed God. They sinned. They broke the fellowship that that God had created between them. Romans 5.12 says death entered the world as a result of Adam's sin. The only reason there's death in the world is because there's sin in the world. And the reason that everyone dies is because everyone sins. And Jesus now... Uh, he, he sees the effect that death has, the pain that it causes, the deep loss that it causes. And this wasn't part of the original design. And he's angry at death because it wasn't supposed to be this way. You know, this, this, is why, uh, you know, this is why you and I, this is why we have such a hard time processing death when a loved one dies. And we have such a hard time processing through it because it wasn't part of the original design. We weren't originally created for death. And to be able to understand and process through death. And so we don't really have a way to process death. We don't really have a a file that we can put that kind of grief into. Because we weren't designed for death. We were designed for life. And that's why death is such a difficult thing for us. Because we don't know what to do with it. We don't have a place for it. And death makes us angry. We get angry at death because it steals from us and it robs us. And we feel powerless against death. It says that Jesus was, was angry and he was troubled. That word means agitated. So he's angry and agitated at death because of the pain and the sorrow that death brings. Unlike us, Jesus had the power to do something about death and he did do something about death. Verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. You know what the second shortest verse in the Bible is? 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Isn't that neat? Jesus wept. Rejoice evermore. You know what the third shortest verse in the Bible is? Remember Lot's wife. Right? There's a sermon right there for you. Right? Jesus wept. Rejoice evermore. But remember Lot's wife. Charles Spurgeon said verse 35 isn't a verse you can just read. You have to feel it. Jesus wept. Charles Spurgeon preached two whole sermons just on verse 35. Two sermons on Jesus wept. And this word wept, when it says Jesus wept, it's a different word from the weeping of the mourners. Uh, this, this weeping is silent weeping. This is tears welling up in your eyes. This is lump in your throat, lip quivering, just kind of getting overwhelmed with with emotion here and so you've got the crowd wailing and screaming and crying out and jesus as he's looking on he starts to get overcome with emotion and his eyes fill with tears as he sees this crowd which in a way it seems kind of odd doesn't it that jesus would start to weep because he knows he's about to raise lazarus from the dead you would think he'd be standing there with like this big smile on his face because he knows what he's about to do or that he'd have to like contain his laughter because he knows he's about to just you know, blow their minds with this surprise that he's about to do and raise Lazarus to the, from the dead. But he's weeping. Why is he weeping? 
Jesus enters into their suffering. He enters into their suffering. Even though he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he's still a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4.15 says of Jesus that he is a high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses. And he, he fully enters into our suffering and he fully enters into our pain. He understands, he can relate to our sorrow. Even though he's got great things in store for us, even though he's got a resurrection for us, he still enters into the pain that we experience. That's why we can pour out our heart to him. And he understands Verse 35, Jesus wept, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, (laughs) some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? There's critics in the crowd. At a funeral, there's critics there. There's always critics. There's always critics in the crowd. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. We're told the tomb was a cave and a stone lay against it. So verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Martha, understandably, is, is repulsed by the thought of opening the tomb. You know, the body's been decomposing for four days, and maybe she thinks he wants to see the body one last time, but she says, hey, you, you can't open the tomb because by now there's a stench. He's been dead four days. And the old King James here, it says, he stinketh. By now he stinketh. <laughs> and I say that to my kids sometimes after they've been outside playing all day and they're sweaty. I say, go take a shower, you stinketh. But she said, I mean, you, she's not expecting a miracle here. We're past that for her. She thinks, you know, he could have healed her, healed Lazarus if he showed up before he died. But now it's too late. There's nothing he can do. And she says, hey, you can't, you can't, you can't open the tomb. There's a stench. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Back in verse four. Didn't I say it wasn't going to end in death? And that you would see the glory of God. And now you're about to see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And I would bet as soon as they rolled away that stone, there was a stench. You know, probably just hit him. The stench. You know, and so probably the crowd is, you know, covering their face. You know, from the smell, gagging, dry heaving, you know, kind of thing. There's a stench. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus raised Lazarus so that the people that were there, the eyewitnesses, would believe that Jesus was sent from God. The purpose of this whole thing was to persuade the people to believe, to bring them to a point where they make a decision about Jesus Christ. You have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. There has to be a point in your life where you decide, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to surrender my life to him as my Lord and my Savior and live for him from this point forward. And he's trying to bring them to that place where they recognize him for who he is. 
Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, we'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. So verse 43, Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he calls Lazarus by name here. He doesn't just say come forth because he's in a cemetery. Lazarus, only you, you know, you're the only one for now that I want to come forth. No one else. And so look what happens. And he who had died came out, bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. So what they would do is they would, uh, when a person died, they would uh, wrap the body and they would anoint the body with burial spices and then wrap it with this cloth uh, uh, before they buried them. Uh, You know what the Jewish people used to call the cloth that they wrapped a a body with? They're traveling clothes. They're traveling clothes. Because they're going somewhere. You know, it used to be, it's kind of of falling out of tradition or falling out of practice a little bit, but that used to be the reason why we buried people in, you know, their best suit or a pretty dress. It was their traveling clothes. They had the idea behind it that they're going some. They're going, to, they're going to meet the Lord, and so they need to have their best clothes on. And so here, Lazarus, he's, he's wrapped in these cloths and has this kind of this ointment that makes like a cement, uh, kind of seals the cloths down. Uh, and he, it says, he came out bound hand and foot with the grave clothes on. So I guess he's kind of hopping out as he's coming, right? And then Jesus says, loose him. And let him go. The story of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, it's a picture of salvation. You know, we're all Lazarus, spiritually speaking. The Bible says that we all were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead spiritually. And some of us were dead for a long time. And some of us stunk. (laughs) Our sin stunk. Our lives stunk because of our sin. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins and Jesus Christ made us alive, right? Just by his sovereignty, by his grace, he called us to life and he made us alive. You know, that's, that's the power of the gospel. The gospel makes dead people alive. You know, it's not, you know the gospel is not that, that God takes bad people and makes them good or good people and makes them better. God takes dead people and makes them alive. That's the gospel. That's what the power of the gospel is. It makes dead people alive. And so, just like Lazarus, Jesus called us out of our deadness and made us alive. And then we, so to speak, came out of the grave still wearing our, our grave clothes, still wearing our burial clothes. We still had the old man. We still had the old habits. 
We still had the old sin. And so then after we were made alive, we go through this process of sanctification, this process of loosening and letting go. You know, this process of putting off the old man, putting off the old sin and walking in the newness of life. Right. So you've got salvation and then you've got sanctification and you have a picture of it here with Lazarus coming out of the tomb. He that was dead came out alive. Verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Verse 45 says many of the Jews believed, but it doesn't say all of the Jews believed doesn't say everyone, every last one of them believed. Now, you, you'd think if you saw someone raised from the dead, everybody's going to believe now. I mean, come on, the guy's been dead four days and he comes out. Everybody's believing. But some of them didn't believe. That just shows the hardness of man's heart. And even if they see someone raised from the dead, they're still not going to believe. Nothing, nothing is going to convince them at this point. If they don't believe a dude coming out of the tomb after four days, they're not going to believe. Their hearts are just hard. Some of them, verse 46, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. Now, the chief priests were the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, didn't really get along with each other. They didn't like each other. They uh, They were different groups within Judaism. The Sadducees were the more liberal group theologically. The Sadducees, for example, didn't believe in a resurrection. Uh, The Pharisees were more conservative theologically. Uh, These two groups didn't like each other. The Pharisees saw the Sadducees as compromised. But here we see they, they come together. They form a council together because of their common hatred for Jesus Christ that brings them together. And they say, what are we going to do about this guy? We can't have this guy going around raising people from the dead. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And we're going to lose our status and we're going to lose the nation. We just let this guy keep doing this stuff. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So the religious leaders here, under Caiaphas, the high priest, Caiaphas suggests that Jesus be put to death for the sake of the nation. And we're told in verse 51. That he didn't realize this. But he was speaking this prophetically. That Jesus would be put to death. Not only for the Jewish nation. But Jesus would die for all of the world. One man would die for everyone. And he would die as the substitute. To pay for our sins. And die in our place. As the sacrifice. As the Lamb of God. For our sins, one dying for all. And so, verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the, in, into the country near the wilderness, 
to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. So the religious leaders, the high priest and the chief priests, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They determined he must die, that he needs to die to save the nation. Jesus, knowing this, he leaves. Next time they see him, it's going to be chapter 12, when he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he's going to give his life on the cross for the sins of the world. But here, here so give, me, give me your attention. And just, this is just a little bonus feature for you guys, right? Before we go, one last little thing. The next thing that happens chronologically in the ministry of Jesus, that John doesn't record, the very next thing that happens is recorded for us in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. You don't have to turn there. You can jot it down. Luke 17, 11 to 19. The chief priests and the, the chief priests of Israel, the high priests, they reject Jesus as Messiah. They determine he's got to die. We need to kill him. Jesus leaves. And the next thing Jesus does is he heals 10 lepers. And he sends 10 lepers to the high priest. That's the next thing that happens. And he sends those 10 lepers to the high priest. Now, if you remember, when we talked about uh, the healing of a leper earlier in our study of John, uh, the, the Old Testament, Leviticus 13 and 14, describe the procedure and the sacrifices that were to be made for a cleansed leper. The problem was no Jewish person had ever been cleansed of leprosy in all of their history. So they had these rules and regulations, these instructions, back in the law given by Moses, but then they never had to use it. And so the priests decided and determined, well, those must only apply for the time of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he'll cleanse lepers, he'll heal people of leprosy, then we'll make this sacrifice. And so the cleansing of leprosy, that's a messianic sign. That's something only the Messiah will do when he comes. And so they reject Jesus as the Messiah. They determine he's got to die. So what does Jesus do? He sends 10 cleansed lepers to the high priest. That's what happens next. And these 10 cleansed lepers show up at the temple in Jerusalem saying, Jesus Christ cleansed us of our leprosy. We're here to make the sacrifice for the cleansed leper. Now, you probably don't know, but in Leviticus 13 and 14, it tells us exactly what the high priest has to do for the cleansed leper. And it's kind of funny what Jesus does here. It says in Leviticus 13 and 14 that the high priest is to closely examine the physical body of the cleansed leper to make sure that they're truly cleansed of their leprosy. And he's supposed to examine their body closely once a day for seven days in a row. He's got 10 cleansed lepers that just showed up. And he's got to examine each of them very closely once a day for seven days in a row. That's 70 examinations. And then on the eighth day, the high priest has to make four separate sacrifice for each cleansed leper. So on the eighth day, the high priest has to make 40 sacrifices now for the cleansed leper. Isn't that great? Don't you love it? They say, he's not the Messiah. He needs to die. Jesus says, oh yeah? Well, here's 10 cleansed lepers. You don't think I'm the Messiah? How do you like these apples? You know, like, what do you think about that? Here's 10 10 cleansed lepers and you can spend the next eight days thinking about your decision, right? He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the resurrection and the life. And he who believes and lives in him, yet he, you know, though he may die, yet he shall live. And he will never die. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
We have life beyond the grave because he conquered the the grave, because the tomb is empty, because he's alive. We have the promise of resurrection for us as well. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith, to set aside personal agendas, and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth. Good night.